love you so much. Hello, everyone. Welcome, Welcome back. Do you want to do the opening? Do you want to do the opening? You can do that. Go ahead. I'll sit here. You Hello. <laughs> Hello. Welcome back to the Never Normal Podcast. I'm your host, me, and this is Brittany. Oh, I'm I'm Casey. Sorry. <laughs> you know what? Solid intro. Let's that was do solid. this. That was solid. We're gonna talk about something cool today that Casey oh, wait, hang on. They actually gotta, likes. I gotta know. Oh yeah. We're gonna talk about what? Aliens. Aliens. Wow. I went through a lot of effort from not fixing my hair. This is what you all get now. Oh no. Okay. But um, yeah, we're gonna talk about aliens. Um, I was actually inspired. Uh, I'm pretending you don't exist right now. I was actually inspired when we were in Point Pleasant. I lost my hair tie. I have this one with pearls on it. You want it? No, that's fine. I'll find mine one day. The cats will find it. What did we find in Point Pleasant? You'll you'll find out. Oh. Um, but if you watch the Point Pleasant vlog that I released last week, well, I don't know when you guys will be seeing this, but if you watch the Point, you gotta stop <laughs> moving. Anyways, if you guys watch that vlog, you'll probably know what I'm talking about. Because one of the places was selling a shirt that had something to do with this. But I hope you guys are well. How are you doing? How is everyone's holidaying going? Um, we're struggling. <laughs> we're struggling bad. Um, I'm having an episode today. I'm in a ton of pain. I worked all day. Casey worked all day. It has been raining in Tennessee non-frickin-stop. And... Tis the season. You know? Tis the flippin' season. I like your shirt. Little PSA for people. You can order for Christmas all year round. You don't have to wait until right before to do it. It's crazy. <laughs> I can't say anything, though. I was one of those people this year. I usually, I do try to not be, wow, my hair, what just happened? I had the Britney pony going, wow. You are Britney. I am. But, um, Britney S. Pierce. But, um, I was this year, unfortunately. I try not to be, because before meeting Casey, I didn't think anything about it. But since meeting Casey, I'm like, oh. <laughs> So, but I am one of those people that he is complaining about right now. Oh. <laughs> so, are you excited to talk about I mean, aliens? I, I can't say anything either. Like, hers, hers just showed up, like, yesterday. Yeah, so... And the other one shows up Monday, so... Right. Hashtag relatable. Um, this is hard. I don't know if I can... There we go. Oh, no. You just threw my whole world off. Why are you doing this? Yeah. The cats have not started 
their BS yet. Uh, that's um, not true. Odin was chewing on the tripod. He was trying to get my attention as well. We were cuddling earlier, and then I was like, we have to record, bud. And he said, mm. So I do want to talk about something before we get started. What do we got? Um, Instagram voted for me to do a video on the Casket Girls of New Orleans. Odin is rubbing on the thing, so if the camera moves, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, however, I just want to be transparent. I did some research into that, and Casey knows that I'm very much, I like to disprove things. Um, it's really a load of BS. And I'll, you know, probably make a TikTok talking about it or something, but um, it was literally hogwash. And I can't do that. So I apologize that you guys voted on that. I wish I had done research before. I I need you to calm down. Anyways, I wish I had done research beforehand before suggesting that. And I will do better in the future. Um, I had heard about it in passing, so I thought it was really cool. But it, it was... Um, I would not put that propaganda out there, I guess I should say. Because it was about these women that they brought to Louisiana to encourage people to settle and move there. So they brought these single young women mm, trying to entice. Yes, course. yes. They walked so Beyonce could do her thing. You know what I'm saying? Mm, all single ladies. Indeed. But anyways, um, but they brought them there to encourage tradesmen to move into the area to bring in, you know, like enticing. Um, they had never lived in Louisiana, so they would stay out of the sun a lot so they were very pale you can probably see where i'm going with this they were very pale ah, they stayed indoors a lot vampires they, yes and Classic. they got the name casket girls because the cases that they the little things that they would carry off of the ships they were kind of shaped a little casket e it was like what they would carry like books or like little purses whatever um but it was just a bunch of uh, frankly, sorry, it was bullshit. So, <laughs> so I can't, I can't, it's, I can't do that. So, um, I apologize. <laughs> unrelated, Jill, I have both good news and bad news. Oh. Yeah. So I had. Come a, on, let me get my. It's on tea. topic for this, but not what she's reading because this is my own experience here. Oh yeah. I was on the phone with my sister. And witnessed a UFO at the time. It was unidentified. I was outside, and we have railroad ties lining your driveway, and I was pacing the railroad ties while on the phone. And I witnessed about 15 glowing dots in the sky, one right after another. You could see them all. And it just moved in a straight line, perfectly straight, and I could watch it follow the curve of the atmosphere. Just curving right outside view and blew my freaking mind for like two weeks and then I started following uh, Elon Musk on Twitter and saw a video of Starlink's satellite train yeah. and it was pound for pound what I saw so I debunked my own UFO sighting and I was very disappointed um, but you know what, the, though, that says a lot about you as 
I mean, I guess now you're a paranormal investigator. But what I'm saying is, if you witness about 15 dots in a straight line just kind of booking it through the sky, it might not actually be a UFO this time. Yeah, he... Check out Starlink Satellite Train. It's yeah. really cool videos. You should watch them. But he, um, I remember that day. That he came. I could not get a picture for the life in of here. Me. Yeah, he came busting in here and he was like, "Babe, I just saw UFO outside. Come on, come on!" And we ran out there, and unfortunately, I did not see it. But it, it would have been a cool thing to experience. The experience is cool. It was, but, but yeah, I mean, I later. I but just... kudos to you though for. Because you did research and stuff after it happened, trying to see if anything else, like if yeah. it was military or whatever. Um, At the time, it was unidentified. I yeah. have since then identified. Yeah. But you know, high five for doing the work. But would the ancient aliens guy be proud of me? He would. He would. I'll meet him one day. You will one day. So, um,. Casey, are you ready? Let's hit the thing. Do it. All right, I need you to close your eyes for me. Oh my god. <laughs> I need you. <laughs> Anyways, and listeners and viewers, close your eyes. Just everyone close your eyes. Go zen. <laughs> Unless you're Let's driving, zen. don't do that. Don't close oh, your eyes. Oh, no, 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 no. Like, this is very situational. Anyways, I need you to picture yourself in 1942 Los Angeles. You're uh, currently under a blackout order after the horrific bombings of Pearl Harbor, when suddenly you hear sirens blaring, lights in the sky, followed by rapid military fire. Is it your new enemies? Or is it someone else popping to see what the hell is going on with their experiment? I still see a light ring. <laughs> We're going to talk about the Battle of Los Angeles. You can open it. Oh god, that was awful. There's light. <laughs> what did you think of the intro though? Did uh, you immerse yourself for a second? Until I got to LA and then I was like, I can't afford <laughs> anything here. <laughs> um, so, I did a lot of research on this and I was trying to find a way to write an article because I love writing articles. I was a journalism minor. And now I know the shirt that you were talking about. <laughs> um... I'll link that video here for you guys to go watch. But um, I found this wonderful article and I read it. I'm gonna, I'll try to find it again and link it. I have it right here um, from ufoinsight.com by Marcus Loaf. I am going to read this article because it is extremely well written. It is, it's, it's great. I would not have been able to do such a justice so i'm going to read this it is a lot of information so hang tight everyone grab a beverage casey and i we have ours um get a snack you know what i mean just hang out and i hope that you guys enjoy this so we're gonna talk about the day before on the 23rd of february 1942 Elwood Naval Base came under sudden attack from Japanese forces. The Japanese had maintained a discreet presence in the area since Pearl Harbor attacks on the 7th of December 1941. They had even managed to sink two American ships and damaged six more. Just after 7 p.m. on February 23rd, a sudden bombardment came as Japanese forces attacked just off the coast. 
they would take aim at Richfield Aviation fuel tanks. The attack would last around 20 minutes before the Japanese forces turned and retreated from the area. Although the damage was very limited and there were no severe casualties, the attack was still resounding success. It managed to capitalize on the fear that was already established at Pearl Harbor. Binks is rubbing on my feet right now. <laughs> oh my god, Bean. She flopped. Yeah, she <laughs> literally flopped. Stop that. Stop. Oh, Bean. <laughs> Go. Naughty. Anyways. Stuff over. Um, that the American public would come under attack at any moment and from anywhere along the West Coast. What is perhaps of interest here is... In the wake of the attacks at Elwood, naval intelligence would announce to all relevant chains of command that another attack was imminent. In fact, it would come to be expected within the next 10 hours. Later that evening, numerous reports of flares and blinking lights would surface from locations around several defense plants along the Californian coast. By 7.18 p.m., a full alert was issued. However, by 10.23 p.m., it was appeared any perceived threat was a false alarm and the threat level was lowered. The reprieve would not last long. So that was the, the day before this whole thing. What are you doing? Continue. Are you looking for your hair tie? Yep, still on. Oh, here, just take mine. Now I'm just concerned as to where it went. We'll find it. Just take mine. It has cute little pearls on it. Wow. Is there a harbor though? It literally works like a normal hair tie. Oh my gosh. This looks like the thing that Padme was wearing when she met Anakin. It came out of a bath bomb, actually. <laughs> Alright, so here we go. <clears throat> It was just after 3 a.m. when residents of Los Angeles were, current, were cruelly dragged from their sleep due to the wailing sirens announcing an attack. When the automatic gunfire announced itself as sporadic but regular bursts, it didn't take long for citizens to recall images of the attacks of the previous day or from Pearl Harbor a little over two months earlier. Indeed, many families, at least those who had them, would immediately take to their various bomb shelters themselves, ranging from professional builds to very makeshift facilities. Whatever was going on outside, it wasn't a good thing. That much was certain. Unbeknown to the confused and increasingly panicked residents of the city of Los Angeles was that the U.S. Navy radar had picked up an unidentified object around 120 miles to the west of the city and had been tracking it since shortly after midnight. By 2.15 a.m., anti-aircraft stations were put on standby. Several minutes later, with the object still approaching, they would receive a green alert telling them to be ready to fire immediately. Those who didn't have shelters to head to or simply weren't concerned enough to utilize themselves would spill out on the previously serene and sleepy streets of various housing estates of Los Angeles. It is from many of these stragglers on the street where some of the most accurate and perhaps key witnesses' statements would later come. What many people who stepped from their houses first noticed was despite the barrage of automatic fire 
heading toward heading skywards from the ground, there were no more enemy fighters falling in flames to the ground below. In fact, it didn't appear there were any planes at all in the sky. Nothing swooping and descending, nothing sending short rattles of fire downward. What many did see, however, was the vague shape of a huge oval object, and an object that appeared to be the target of the military automatic gunfire, except nothing seemed to impact it. Instead, it appeared as though some kind of invisible shield was around this equally mysterious object. The more residents of Los Angeles many districts looked on, it appeared as though the behemoth-like object was calmly and smoothly moving through the dark sky of the early morning, seemingly oblivious to the round after round of heavy-duty artillery fire. It was also many of these street witnesses who would repeatedly report the sound of American fighter planes in the skies overhead. However, the U.S. Air Force and, in turn, the U.S. military would deny any deployment of U.S. aircraft on the night in question. It would appear that the first sightings from the public would come from the Santa Monica area of the city a little after 3 a.m., According to military reports, though, several sightings of enemy planes had come from defense posts along the coast for at least 30 minutes leading up to that point. At 2.43 a.m., for example, several planes were sighted over Long Beach. Only a few moments later, another sighting claimed 25 planes at 12,000 feet over downtown Los Angeles. At 3.06 a.m., a balloon with a red flare was seen over Santa Monica. Seconds later came the gunfire. It's pretty interesting so far, actually. I, I really like this article in the detail of like events kind of transpiring through time. So we're gonna take a break real quick. I'm gonna take a sip of my drink because my throat hurts and uh, we will continue. All right, welcome back. <clears throat> so picking up where we left off, um, Bane. <laughs> Please don't rub on the camera. <laughs> All right, let's see. So along with the ominous warning wail of the sirens came orders of a complete blackout. Not a single light from a house or vehicle was lit throughout Los Angeles after 3 a.m. During the three and a half hours until just after 7 a.m. when a sense of normally, normality huh, arrived, with the light of the morning, numerous and varied reports would circulate, both among the military and throughout the wider community. Many reports of, quote, planes, for example, would surface, although most of these would insist the planes uh, in question were American planes. There were also several fatalities that would share at least an indirect connection to the events of the early hours of the 25th of February, 1942. All of the dead were civilians, unfortunately. Some were victims of traffic accidents as they had made fatal attempts to uh, navigate the blacked out roads. At least one person is thought to have died as a result of falling shrapnel. Uh, several other deaths attributed to heart attacks, uh, widely accepted to have been the consequence of the bizarre and the frightening events of that time. Uh, one account that I'm going to talk about is, quote, Katie. Um, while we look at some of 
the witness statements from the incident, one particular of intrigue is that of, quote, Katie, who at the time was an interior designer and artist who worked with many of the Hollywood stars. She was also, along with over 12,000 other Los Angeles residents, a volunteer air raid warden. So when her phone rang in the early hours of February 25th, she already had an idea that something was likely afoot. She wasn't wrong. On the other end of the line was her district air raid supervisor. There was, they said, an immediate alert. Rather more intriguing, they wished to know if she had seen anything unusual in the sky, more specifically near her house. Katie lived not far from Santa Monica and Los Angeles West Side. Upon being asked the question, she walked over to the window of the room she was in. She would later recall a UFO investigator, Jeff Rentz, quoted, It was huge. It was just enormous, and it was practically right over my house. I had never seen anything like it in my life, end quote. She would continue to say that, quote, it was just hovering there. She would remember that whatever the object was, it was, quote, lovely pale orange. Well, that's the interior decorator in her. Mm. And although it had an eerie quality to it, it was the most beautiful thing she had ever seen. Partly because there was no other competing light due to the blackout, the object would shine spectacularly in the dark blue sky. It was around this time that U.S. military searchlight found the object with the glare. Like many other witnesses, Katie would declare with absolute certainty, quote, they sent fighter planes up and I watched them in groups approach it and then turn away, end quote. She would further recall the planes were, quote, shooting at it, but it didn't seem to matter, end quote. According to Katie, the planes would make several approaches, but they would then suddenly retreat. Then the ground artillery began to fire. So much firepower was sent upwards, it was like the 4th of July with the military firing like crazy. Katie would continue to watch the events unfold from the relative safety of her living room window for close to half an hour. Then the object began to move away, eventually disappearing in the night. Also, like many other witnesses, Katie would recall that several direct hits impacted upon the surface of the object. However, no damage at all was visible. In fact, it would appear, although the huge shells simply fell to the ground at the last moment. Despite the apparent attack from its, this mysterious object, Katie would recall that it was a magnificent sight. Just marvelous." End quote. Retired anthropology professor Scott Littleton, who was only a young boy at the time and whose father was also an air raid warden, had an almost perfect view of the incident. He would describe the object as, quote, like a lozenge, with artillery shells exploding all around it. Also, like Katie, he would claim the very real presence of American fighter jets. In fact, Littleton would prove to be a strong voice over the decades that followed regarding the counter. Indeed, he may just prove to be one of the key witnesses to that winter's evening on February 1942. And have jets in 42. I know, but I think they just meant like a military. Ah, no. Just bothers. <laughs> Casey really likes um, aviation. Things. Also, he said that it was basically like a giant, giant cough drop in the sky. Yeah, I literally pictured one of those Luden's cough, Luden's cough drops, just like me. 
<laughs> Although Littleton was only a young child at the time of the incident, the most bizarre night is emblazoned emblazoned on his mind littleton would become a college professor of anthropology from 1962 until his retirement 40 years later in 2002 his studies and teachings took him across a wide range of mythology and folklore also of interest to him was the question of ufos and alien life in particular what the possible implications for mythology and folklore might be Littleton would describe the Battle of Los Angeles as the night that a UFO was fired on by the U.S. repeatedly with no apparent effect. He would witness the events from near his home in Hermosa Beach. That was hard to say for some reason. Sorry. Hermosa. <laughs> Hermosa Beach. Anyways, <laughs> with the events of Pearl Harbor still fresh in everyone's minds, residents of California were only too aware of their location on the coast. To them, the threat of invasion was still palpable, if not imminent, in the minds of many. In fact, even military sources and intelligence would suggest a bombing campaign, likely from the Japanese, was inevitable. Along the waterfront, from Santa Monica Bay to Malibu, to Palos Verdes, anti-aircraft guns fired their deadly loads at targets purposely dragged along the skies over the water. Specially designed U.S. planes would pull along these targets, allowing those who might one day be firing on approaching the enemy planes to practice. <clears throat> Imagine being the guy who, that's your job, is you got to tow the target everyone's shooting at. <laughs> that would be terrifying. So, all right, boys, don't hit the plane they at would, the lead. They would, like, draw Draw like flip coins or draw stars or something. These displays would often entertain the locals, including the young Littleton, who would remember them as a grand show. During, <laughs> during which the searchlights from the ground would light up not only the targets but the exploding shells. These practice runs would normally run from 9 p.m. to 10 p.m. each evening. That would be cool to see. That would be terrifying, though. Not if they're doing, just doing practice. Yeah, runs. but like what they're practicing for would be terrifying. I mean, when you're younger, you you I really don't you don't really understand you know what's happening. But look, when you're attacked by a giant cough drop, you'll understand. <laughs> <clears throat> there were also regular blackouts, which Littleton's father, as a volunteer air raid warden, would get prior notice of. During such blackouts, he would have. To don his hard hat and patrol the streets in his designated area, ensuring that all curtains would remain closed and lights off. And to make sure anyone who shouldn't be outside would return home immediately. Generally speaking, this practice um, always went relatively smoothly. However, in the early hours of the 25th of February, during the real thing, Littleton would remember that the system totally collapsed. The practice had gone ahead as normal in the evening of the 24th before falling silent after 10 p.m. Littleton remembers clearly going to bed after the usual display, reading for a little while before falling asleep. The next thing he knew it was 3.15 a.m. and it sounded as though it was thundering outside. After shaking the sleep from his mind, he realized the thunder was, in fact, anti-aircraft fire. Thinking it was possibly another drill, he soon dismissed the notion as there was something about the rate and intensity of the bombardment that just didn't seem right. As he looked out of his bedroom window, 
he could instantly make out the searchlights sweeping around the night sky. Among them was the bright flashes of exploding rounds. This further pushed away the notion that he was seeing a drill of some kind. The explosions during the practice runs were usually quite a way out at sea. These explosions were much closer to the mainland. Then he could hear his parents talking in the hall of the house. When he put his head out the door, he could clearly make out the worried look on his father's face. According to Littleton, his father couldn't understand why he or the local air raid wardens didn't receive a word. Whether it was a drill or a real attack, a local air raid, all local air raid wardens should receive notification to attend their positions. This could be an interesting point. Littleton's father would place several phone calls to the civil defense headquarters in a bid to find out information. Nobody would pick up the phone. He would make the decision to then take the streets as per his duties of his town accord in the absence of any superior command. It would apparently turn out that later, although the alarm was raised sometime between 2.15 and 2.25, someone forgot to notify local air raid wardens. Whoops. Whoops. However, as we will remember, Katie was notified a little after 3 a.m., in fact, she would receive questions whether she could visually see anything from her position. Again, this is simple speculation. Might have been a purposeful decision. Might it have been a purposeful decision to keep as many of the air raid wardens inside as possible? Might they have wanted as few witnesses as possible? You see what I'm saying? Because like she got the call, and other people didn't get the call, mm. and it was already like at her house. Regardless of the reason, after Littleton's father had been outside for a short while, he returned even more concerned than before. By this time, the grandparents who happened to be staying there were also awake and downstairs. Littleton's father instructed them to make their way to the bomb shelter immediately. I think this may be the real thing, he would declare as he ushered them down to the basement. While the Littleton household squeezed into the cramped basement, Littleton's father would return to the street. When his mother decided to go up and see what was happening around 10 minutes later, Littleton discreetly tagged along. The pair made their way to the doorstep of the house and then stood there watching the fascinating events unfold before them. <clears throat> Each of them stared up at the silver lozenge-shaped bug that glowed brightly in the searchlights that had converged upon it. For several moments, the objects hung motionless in the air, seemingly happy to take the apparent pounding from the constant barrage of gunfire and heavy artillery from below. Then it began to move slowly. It would move, it would head towards Redondo Beach, southeast from their direction. They would watch it for several minutes before it disappeared out of sight. Although it disappeared from Littleton's sight as the object passed over Redondo Beach, a five-year-old child, Tyke Caravas, would witness it pass over his family home. Not only that, it appeared to descend slightly as it did so. The rest of the Caravas family also witnessed the incident with Tyke's father even attempting to follow the craft in his car in case it landed. However, instead of landing, the object would begin to rise again. It would head south of the beach along the west coast where the LAX airport stands today, before passing over El Segundo oil refinery. Caravas would recall how, despite the time, it, almost everyone in our whole block who could got up to go outside to see it. 
despite the intense barrage of aircraft, the mysterious object escaped unscathed. Um, very interesting stuff. We're gonna take one more break. <laughs> this is a long one, um, but I think it's really cool. Again, this article is fantastic. I will link it down below. But we're gonna go over the balloon explanation. Have you heard how? Oh, yeah. yeah, we're gonna. I'm well familiar. Yeah, we're gonna go. <laughs> we're gonna go into the balloon explanation and then wrap it up with our thoughts. And uh, yeah, I hope you guys are liking this episode so far. We're doing the balloon explanation, which mm. you said you've heard about, which I've heard about. And while I'm not an expert in these things, I think it's BS. I think it's baloney. I think it's a baloney balloon. What if it was a balloon made out of baloney? 90% of the time I say it's a balloon. They're just full of crap. Yeah, so I'm just going to keep reading this article, and I'm going to have this article linked down below so you guys can read it as well because I did there is like a lot more that I did omit some of because I just kind of wanted to streamline everything but um little tin for um obvious reasons would have an intense interest in the case and has performed his own investigations into it it would take particular exception that the entire episode, including the barrage of fire from the U.S. military, was nothing more than a balloon that had strayed off course. In fact, he would state that this official explanation was almost impossible. I mean, that makes sense. Remember, most of the sightings and the bulk of the shooting took place in the Santa Monica area of Los Angeles. Littleton's research shows that the only place in Los Angeles where such balloons were uh was to the south of santa monica in el segundo littleton would explain that this would mean assuming there was a missing balloon there were no reports of any missing or stolen balloons in or around the night in question excuse me it would have to find its way almost perfectly northward towards santa monica meaning that it would have to like have a beeline course yeah no deviation which is yeah which is not how they work um once at its destination it would then hover in the same spot somehow absorbing the firepower from the anti-aircraft guns below for close to 30 minutes before calmly being like i'm out yeah in a different direction from the way that it came. I mean, I don't know what weather balloons are made of, but I do not think it would be... Not bulletproof material. Yes, exactly. Um, perhaps backing up Littleton's and many other UFO researchers' claims that the object hovering Los Angeles was far from a balloon and was, in fact, a nuts and bolts craft from another part of the galaxy comes from one of the most famous and iconic images of the incident. The photograph, mm. which I have, you've seen the photograph, right? I have seen the photograph as well. When I post this episode um, in, in, on our Instagram, I will share the infamous photograph. There is a lot of controversy around this photograph. Um, but, you know, I don't, I mean, I wasn't there. I'm not an expert in photographs like that. There are some people that say that the person that took it came out and said that it was fake. 
There's other ones that are saying that it's not fake, and then there's other people saying that once they like blew the image up and stuff, you could see where it had been edited. So I don't know. Um, as events were unfolding, a reporter with the Los Angeles Times newspaper would receive word that something was happening near Santa Monica. The reporter in question lived around 12 miles away to the east of the location of the San Gabriel Valley area of the city. He immediately dressed and jumped into his car, making his way cautiously through the now blackened roads, unable to use his headlights in case he attracted the attention of the police or military or even the air raid wardens who would order him inside or arrest him. Sorry, I ate too fast. He arrived close to his destination shortly after, settling near the Baldwin Hills. The reporter could clearly see the object caught in the collective glow of several searchlights on it. He jumped out of his car, the gun sounding immediately louder as he did so. He pointed his camera at the scene above him and fired. By the 26th of February, the image would run in the Los Angeles Times newspaper. Millions of people around the world would study the picture over the years. Does it show an alien craft withstanding an intense barrage of U.S. military firepower? Although there have been accusations of touching up, they were being so good. Anyways, although there have been accusations of, quote, touching up the photograph, it is indeed a genuine image. These touch-ups are, in reality, simply changing of contrasts and such to provide the image with more clarity for newspaper print. As you can see from the image below, which is in the article, um, it certainly appears as though the reflective glow from a disc-shaped craft is clearly visible. And I will put that on Instagram for you guys the day that this episode comes out. Um, I don't know. I mean, what do you think? I think that it was not a weather balloon. I, I never believe the weather balloon statements. Yeah, I... Those are usually followed up with... Eyewitness accounts are like, no, that's total crap. And to me, the military, and I think the next part I'm about to read kind of talks about it. Um, or in the article it does talk about it on how... Why would they fire... The military, why, who were supposed to have, I mean, of course, what happened at Pearl Harbor was very tragic, and it put everyone on high alert, but these commanders and soldiers are trained to withstand, like, the, they have the mental capacity to call judgment, you know what I mean, instead of... But there's also hysteria. You have one person started firing, and then it could have just been a... Just a downhill, everybody just started firing at that point. It's like a witch trials thing when everyone was yeah. like, started. Yeah. I don't. Guys, they were so good. Almost this whole episode. Of course, this episode is pretty long. Um, I'm going to read this last part and then we'll kind of talk about it. Um, there's plenty of reason to assume that the events were a false flag event, possibly to maintain support for the United States involvement in the Second World War, as we have looked at previously um, in our look at the events of Pearl Harbor. There is a substantial reason to believe the key 
uh, event that brought the United States into World War II was at best allowed to happen at worst of purposeful planning. That is a thing. That is a, I don't, I don't know anything. I will not comment on that. It's not my place to. Um, but that is a thing like the military, it's a conspiracy theory still happens today on the military planning things to get us involved in other wars. It's a thing. Um, might the Battle of Los Angeles have been a similar um, event? And they're, they're saying in the article that, you know, there is an argument for that claim. For example, several radar operators would state in a television documentary in the early 2000s that they received prior warning from their superiors to expect a target coming in. One would even go as far to say that it was a meteorologist balloon with a wavelength of wire tied to it so the radar would pick it up. Does this suggest that there was a purposeful operation in place, or is this simply a case of mistaken sighting by the radar operators in question? Or is this possibly a case of disinformation? How, for example, would the balloon explanation match up alongside Katie's sighting? Or might Katie's claims be disinformation to take away from secret military action? After all, she was a volunteer air raid warden. Perhaps she would see it as her duty. If we assume that this was a military test, the fact that several residents would lose their lives would mean the military would have to maintain that something took place lest they face scrutiny and possibly lawsuits for possible recklessness behavior and a disregard for its own citizens' safety. Or, might it be a military test of otherworldly technology? That, again, I think the article is super cool. Um, I could not, (laughs) they really did, and that's, it's not the full article. It's actually a really long article. And, um... I'm over here now. I sat there and read it. I know, because they hit the... I'm going to fix this real quick. There we go. Okay. Yeah, because they ran by. And, but, um... I think it's super cool. It... I want to say that maybe it was a UFO. I, because, I mean, it's still a de- an identified flying object. I don't think it was a weather balloon. No. Could it have possibly been the military testing some advanced technology that went haywire? Like somewhere in communication, something didn't get set. Damn it, Donnie, why'd you let go of the string? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, it, there's, I think there's a number of things, but whatever it is. I don't buy into the weather balloon theory, and I will die on that hill. Binks, Binks, why do they want to rub on that so much? Because we're using it. Probably. It's in front of us. Anything that is ours is theirs. Do not bite my. F- <gasps> That's it. Now you're on camera. Now you're on camera. Tell them. Say I bit mommy's foot again. <laughs> she's such a good baby, even when she's bad. Naughty. Boop. <laughs> But, um, so what do, what do you think about it? I mean, I know that your UFO dreams got crushed recently. I was hoping... I, know, I still have plenty more. I was hoping this would bounce you back a little bit. Uh, 
Weather balloons just is, is still a no go. Even their explanation of oh, the weather balloon goes up into the atmosphere, <laughs> it spreads out, and looks like a dish. Yeah. Nah, homie. I'm sorry. Like it wouldn't be able to. It would immediately have yeah, been shot a, down. Yeah, it's a balloon. It's literally a balloon. It's unless the military just can't aim, and then just say that. Are uh, they stormtroopers? Are we uh, in Star Wars? Still have my hand. <laughs> but but no, I mean I agree with you. I don't think that it was a weather balloon at all. I just I don't. I refuse to believe. Um. I, I don't know. I don't, it's definitely a UFO of some kind. Um, Can I identify it? No. No, so it's a UFO. Doesn't necessarily mean it's alien. A lot of times My paranormal... A lot of times paranormal researchers are immediately like, ooh, it's aliens, which I think aliens are so cool. I definitely believe in aliens. Um, but not... A UFO doesn't mean alien, I guess I should say. Um, but... I mean, I think we're on the same page as this, sir. Yes. It's the worst handshake I've ever had. <laughs> um, what are your guys' thoughts? Uh, definitely go check out that article. I'm going to actually look more on that website. I have it saved um, because I was really just hyper-focused on the Battle of Los Angeles. Whenever I was editing that vlog, I was like, oh, I want to know more. I also wish I would have gotten that shirt. But funny story, they actually have a website. So you can go on their website and order shirts, which I might do after the holidays. Because right now, inflation. <laughs> but, but yeah, so I hope that you guys enjoyed this episode. I've enjoyed this episode, even though it's probably one of the longest episodes we've ever done. I just think it was really cool, and I wanted to go in depth with that article because it was so good. Uh, let me know what you guys think, and uh, thank you for listening, if you're listening, and thank you for watching, if you're watching, and we will see you next time. Oh, and you can you can open your eyes back up now. Oh, well, I told them they could open their eyes. Oh, mine are still closed. Yours have not. Wow. Lion before Christmas. Mm, I see. Alright. Thanks so much, guys. Bye.